The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. I'm super excited. I've got a word. I cannot wait to give it to you. I might be stepping on some toes this morning, though. Is that okay? Is that okay? Okay. Um, If you got a Bible with you, um, or you want to follow along with me, you want to lean in. We talk about that in our kids' ministries, leaning in. That means getting your Bible out, getting your notes out, following along. If you want to lean in with me today, we're going to be starting off in the book of Acts, chapter 9. So you can turn there. This is going to be where we're at the the rest of the service. And I say this to students, uh, but we like our stuff chunky in a message. Now, what I mean by that is, (laughs) you guys are like, what? We like our messages chunky. What I mean by that is we read some scripture at students. And so I need to know, is anybody cool with us reading a little? We're going to read a lot of scripture today because we like our stuff chunky. So uh, Acts chapter 9, the context of this story, if you're familiar with it, this is about Paul, but this is BC Paul, before Christ. So he's Saul right now, and he's kind of a bad dude, okay? Okay, so nine, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10, here's what it says. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias, that's you, coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay, so today I want to preach to you um, about a topic along the lines of having spiritual eyes. Having spiritual eyes specifically for what? I want to talk about having spiritual eyes to see people. Spiritual eyes to see others, um, because as I've been thinking about this message, talking about it with Haley, um, just meditating on it, I've realized that um, if this is something that we don't allow God to open our eyes, we actually end up hindering what God is trying to do in the earth, hindering what God wants to do through you and through me. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. The title of my message is Street Called Straight. If you want to write that down, Street Called Straight. But before we get into this word, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit in. I don't want to do this on my own. So, Father God, we just thank you so much for today. And I thank you for filling this room today, God. God, as we lifted you up, as we worshiped you, God, your presence filled this space. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do this one thing today, that you would open our eyes. God, we don't want to be a church. We don't want to be a ministry. We don't want to be a family walking in spiritual blindness because we don't want to hinder what you want to do through us. And so as today, as as I speak, I pray that you would open up every single person's spiritual eyes to see what you are doing in the earth today. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, So I preach every Wednesday at students for the most part, uh, just like Pastor Josh. I call him PJ. I almost said PJ. But um, when you preach that much, PJ could attest to this, uh, you kind of just always got to be all ears for like where the Holy Spirit wants to take you and like what he's trying to teach you because like I got to preach on Wednesday. I need some content. 
And so when I'm reading or when I'm watching a show or having a conversation with somebody, I'm always listening. I'm like, Holy Spirit, are you, are you using this? What are you saying? And, um, and he's so faithful. He always gives me something. And it's always really sweet. It's like this impression in my heart where he's just like, that's what you need to preach. Or like, that, that, that thing you watched, preach that. Um, sometimes it's too sweet and I don't hear it. And he really has to like remind me. But he's always faithful. He gives something to me. And this happened. You know, I knew this weekend was coming up. And so I was all ears. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? And he, he spoke to me about this topic through a documentary that Haley and I were watching a couple weeks ago. Now, we're nerds. We would rather watch a documentary than like a movie or a show. Uh, we've been watching Loki, but I would rather watch a documentary, honestly. Loki's great, but I love documentaries. And so this specific documentary that we watched um, that kind of birthed, birthed this message is, was about skateboarding. Now, <laughs> come on, somebody. Now, what you need to know about me is uh, I grew up, uh, you know, I was not the biggest team sports kid, just to be honest, probably because I wasn't good at them, and I like being good at stuff. Um, so, you know, I can actually remember, like, a specific moment where I realized this. I was, on I was on a baseball team, probably, like, fourth grade, and I was that kid, you know this kid, in the outfield, sitting in the grass, picking grass, not even paying attention, because I didn't think the outfield was an important thing. And so I'm just sitting down picking grass, and then all of a sudden I'm like startled out of this daydreaming state, because like my parents and my coaches and like everybody is screaming at me. They're like, pay attention. What are you doing? The ball. Get the ball, Jackson. Come on. Stop picking grass. Get the ball. And uh, that's when I realized I don't think this is for me. So I grew up, I grew up, you know, I was on t-ball, I played basketball, I did all the soccer teams, but none of that really caught my attention until I stumbled upon a skateboard. I found a skateboard when I was like in fifth grade, and like the second I got on it, I was like, yep, this is my thing. This is what Jackson does. He's a skateboarder. So I love skateboarding. I've been doing it off and on for the past 15 years, uh, which is weird to say, but there's this really great skateboard documentary that I've seen a handful of times. I've seen it a lot, and I finally talked Haley into watching it with me, and it's amazing. It's about this uh, team called the Bones Brigade. Now, the Bones Brigade, they emerged in the 80s, early 80s, which, according to our pastor, was the greatest decade to grow up in. Um, I wouldn't know, because I'm a 90s kid. But, but this team, the Bones Brigade, absolutely like revolutionized skateboarding forever because before the bones brigade skateboarding was basically just like surfing like people didn't do tricks they just kind of rode around and like had long hair long blonde hair <laughs> but the bones brigade changed everything in fact they uh the the people the kids that were a part of this team actually ended up inventing this is crazy inventing most of the tricks anybody's doing today on a skateboard um, but not only that, this team produced some of the most uh, infamous skateboarders in history, guys like Steve Caballero, Tommy Guerrero, uh, Lance Mountain, Mike McGill, Rodney Mullen, and you're probably like, Jackson, I don't know any of those guys. So they probably aren't that big of a deal. You probably know this last one. His name's Tony Hawk. We've all heard of Tony Hawk, right? Uh, he's like the Michael Jordan of skateboarding. I mean, if you don't know Tony Hawk, I don't know how you don't. Like, he's, I saw him on a Subway commercial the other day. Like, he's still doing okay. <laughs> he's still doing his thing. But Tony Hawk came out of this team among all these other really, really famous skateboarders. And, 
You know, as I was watching this documentary um, about the Bones Brigade, the thing that stuck out to me was not, oh man, I wish I grew up in the 80s. All that neon and stuff, that looked really cool. Um, the, thing that, the thing that stuck out to me was not, oh man, Tony Hawk and Rodney Mullen, like these guys that when I was a kid I idolized, I had no idea they were on a team together as kids. That was not what I walked away with either. What I walked away with, um, what, what I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me, was I was blown away at the fact that for the most part, we all know who Tony Hawk is, but nobody's ever heard of this guy named Stacy Peralta. Now, maybe you know who Stacy Peralta is. I would beg to differ, most people don't. But I was blown away at the fact that we all know who Tony Hawk is, but we don't know the guy responsible for calling out the gifts in Tony Hawk when nobody gives a rip about Tony Hawk. And it was this guy named Stacy Peralta. Now, Stacy, you'll find this out if you watch the documentary, he was actually a pro skateboarder, like one of the first ones in history. Um, but at some point in his career, he realized, I think my role in skateboarding is not necessarily to be in the spotlight, but it's actually to build a team. And it's to call out these gifts, these raw talent, and, and kids that nobody cares about. And so that's exactly what he did. He started putting like kids coming right out of elementary school, like 10, 11, weren't even winning competitions. And he started putting them on this team. Little did he know that this team was going to revolutionize skateboarding forever. Now, the, the things that he was doing, everybody on the outside didn't make sense to them. They're like, why are you putting all these 11-year-olds on a skate team? They all suck. They're not even winning competitions. But Stacy, they didn't know this. He had a superpower. And he had this superpower of seeing the potential in others. He saw the potential in others. He saw the same kids that everybody else saw, but he saw them with eyes past their lack, past their current circumstance, past what they were in at the moment that he met them. And I feel like this is what the Holy Spirit kind of revealed to me as I was meditating on this. What I left realizing is Stacy Peralta had more faith in the potential for others than most Christians have in the potential for God to transform a life. And sadly, that's the case that we see today in church. This guy had more potential in the, in the, in the potential, more faith and potential for others than most Christians do in the potential for God to actually transform a person's life. And so with this in mind, this is what I want to talk about today. I want to go back to the book of Acts. Acts is my favorite book in the Bible. If you haven't read it, you need to. Like you need to go home and you need to figure out how you want to divvy it out and read it this month. It's an incredible book. It's also called the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but I had, a, I had a Bible teacher college a Bible professor in college. That makes more sense. Um, and he was like, it shouldn't be called Acts of the Apostles. It should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit because he's the one doing the stuff, which I agree with. But regardless of whatever the book of Acts is actually called, I love it because it's all about Jesus doing the thing he said he was going to do, which is build his team, build his church. You know, he tells the disciples um, at the end of the Gospels, hey, it's actually better that I go, right? You remember that? Jesus, before he ascends, he, he tells the disciples, it's better that I go, because if I don't go, I know you don't understand it yet, but I'm trying to build a team. I'm trying to build a family, and it is not going to happen if you don't have the comforter. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not happening, right? And so, so Jesus ascends, he leaves them, just like he promised, but just like he promised, 
the Holy Spirit comes, right? And when the Holy Spirit comes, boom, church is born, set aflame, hitting the ground running, and this is where we pick up in the book of Acts. This is why I love it, because we're still in the book of Acts today, right? It's to be continued. Jesus ain't back yet, right? So there's still people that are not on this team yet that need to be. And this is what, what we're called to. And here's the thing I think we need to understand about the church. God's in the business of growing his church, obviously. I think that's pretty easy to see when we look at the Bible, when we read the book of Acts. He's in the business of growing his team. But the way he does it, the thing we also need to understand is he always does it with the power of the Holy Spirit through a person, right? Power of the Holy Spirit and a person. That's how he chose to do it. So when the will of man, that's you and me, when the will of man comes into alignment with the Spirit, then transformation is always the goal. That should always be our goal. That doesn't mean transformation is always going to happen because we have to allow it to happen, right? Like we could have a hard heart and not receive transformation, but that should always be our goal to see transformation to happen. The issue is that I think we find in the church both historically um, and especially today is that we actually have the ability to partner with a different spirit. We have the ability to partner with a different spirit and check this out. It's really easy to partner with. And when we partner with it, it's so deceptive. We think we're actually doing God a favor and helping build the church when we do this, when in reality, we're actually making a lot more damage than we think. What is the spirit I'm talking about? I'm I'm talking about the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion. Now, I found this description of the spirit of religion. It's really good. It's going to bite you a little bit, but it's really good. Check this out. The spirit of religion is a shift from joyful obedience in God and a transformed life to simply doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong things. The spirit of religion only allows for outward righteousness. It does not transform the person or the heart. Rather, it puts on a front and appearance that is no greater than skin deep. Okay, check this out. How does it impact the church, though? This impacts the local church by creating divisions between individuals, stealing the joy, freedom, healing, this is the one I really want to focus on today, and the transformation that comes through the power of God. Yikes. Now, unfortunately, this this is the thing we need to realize, church. The big C church is no stranger to this kind of spirit. There's no stranger, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to dog the big C church, but as a whole, we're no stranger to this kind of spirit. And so as new song, I think it's important that we know what this spirit looks like and how easy it is for you and I to walk in this spirit and how when we do, it like completely hinders and halts and stops the team that God is actually trying to grow through us. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The spirit of religion's main focus is current fruit or lack of fruit. The spirit of religion's main focus is what I can see right now. So what it does is actually when we, when we align ourselves with this spirit, we find ourselves making naive judgments based upon people when we actually don't see the full picture. We don't take into consideration their heart. We don't take into consideration where they're at, the circumstances in their life. We don't even take into consideration the fact that God might want to actually do something. 
And we don't even take into con the consideration that God might actually be doing something and you just don't see it, right? This is what the spirit of religion does. At the end of the day, it's a really bad way to think. It's finite. It's human. It's really worldly. It kind of looks like this. Here's an example of this. Let's say you, you're in the lobby on a weekend. You've got your coffee, and you're just ready to mingle with people. And you see uh, a new song pastor walk in the lobby. Let's say Josh Romano walks in the lobby. We all love Josh Romano. He walks into the lobby, and you think, oh, I love Josh Romano. I'm going to wave at him. So you wave at Josh Romano. Hey! And let's say he doesn't wave back and just walks right past you. And the first thought in your head is, dude, Josh Romano is such a jerk. He's such a jerk. He didn't even wave at me. He didn't even acknowledge my existence. Did I do something wrong? Does he hate me? And then you start to think, man, all, all the pastors here at New Song, they're just too busy for me. There's too, this is what the spirit of religion looks like. And we just go it, we just think these thoughts so quickly before we can even stop them. And we're making naive judgments about somebody without even taking into, into consideration, I don't know, maybe he didn't see you. Maybe he had some circumstance that he walked into and it made him a little upset. You have no idea though because you've already made the judgment, right? Here's another example of this. Um, let's say uh, a celebrity gives their life to Christ. You know, we hear about that sometimes. That's always really cool. Uh, I think of a guy like Justin Bieber. Now, I don't know Justin Bieber personally. I don't know his heart. Um, but for the sake of this illustration, let's just pretend he like genuinely gives his life to Jesus, all right? And so he's living for the Lord. He's starting to be more, uh, more vocal on the media about Jesus and his life. Maybe he's leading worship sets and festivals, and which he's doing all these things. And so you're like, yeah, come on, Justin. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, Justin. And then over time, maybe he releases an album. And maybe on that album, there's a song called Peaches. And there's a little bit of language on that song. And now please hear me, church. I'm not condoning that. And I'm not saying it's cool to like say, like, I love Jesus and all this stuff and then put language in your, in your songs. I'm not saying that. But if your first thought is, yeah, he was never really saved. That's the spirit of religion right there. If your first thought is, I guess he's just a big fat phony, then that is the spirit of religion in your heart. Because guess what? You don't know Justin. Have you ever had a conversation with him? Do you know his heart? Do you know where he's at? I know there's bad fruit there, but you don't know what God's doing in his life. And we make a naive judgment based upon the fruit that we see, and we don't know what other fruit's there, right? Is this making sense? The spirit of religion's main focus is current fruit or lack of fruit. The second thing we need to know about the spirit of religion is its main objective is to attack bad fruit instead of cultivating good fruit. Its main objective is to attack bad fruit instead of cultivating good fruit. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 13 um, that paints a really good picture of this. Now, this parable specifically is not about the spirit of religion. It's actually about Jesus at the end times separating like the sinners from the believers. Um, but I think there's a principle in this parable that we can really learn from. Check this out. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Those are weeds. 
among the wheat and went away. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He, t- he said to them, An enemy has done this. Now check out what the servants say next. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go then and gather them up? In other words, hey, you say the word, I'll attack these weeds. I'll go get these weeds. You just, tell, you just you say the word, I will attack that bad fruit. But look at what the master says. He said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at the end of time, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather my wheat into my barn. Now, I think as the church, we too often find ourselves in a similar position to these servants. We see bad fruit, and the first thing is we think is, yo, God, do you see this bad fruit? I will attack this if you tell me to. Like, you just say the word, I will go in, and I will pop, pop. I will attack that bad fruit. And God is saying, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Do you trust me to be able to separate the bad fruit from the good fruit? Do you trust me? I'm not saying you don't have a part to play, but do you trust me to separate the bad fruit? And this is actually exactly where we find Saul in Acts chapter 9. Now, Acts chapter 9, we find Saul, and he's literally walking in the spirit of religion. Literally, because he's a Pharisee. And he's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, right? To arrest believers. And we know Paul's story. We know the end is, is really good. He ends up becoming one of the greatest followers of Jesus ever. Writes a majority of the New Testament. Like, we know that. But where he's at right now, he's not there. He's walking in the spirit of religion. Check out what it says when he has this uh, unplanned encounter with Jesus. Starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, any Christians. He went, or he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching, approaching Damascus on this mission, uh-oh, Jesus showed up. A light from heaven shone all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul right here, he's getting confronted by Jesus. Uh-oh. And Jesus shows up. And he confronts his sin, but he's not just confronting his sin. He's inviting him to step into something different, to a transformed life. I love what one of my favorite commentators, David Guzik, writes about this passage. He says this, As the heavenly light overwhelmed him, Saul was confronted by the true crime of his nature. Look at this. He persecuted God, not man. Saul thought he was serving God. Think about that for a second. Saul thought he was serving God in viciously attacking Christians, but he discovered that he was fighting God. This has sadly been true through history. Often those who are convinced that they are doing God a favor do much of the worst persecution and torture ever practiced. This is what the spirit of religion can look like in the life of a believer. It's this mindset 
where we actually think we're doing God a favor. We think we're doing God a favor when in reality, we're actually halting and stopping what God is trying to do in the earth, right? So the first thing we need to know about the spirit of religion is its main focus is fruit that I see or don't see. Its main objective is to attack the fruit instead of cultivating good fruit. And the last thing is this. The spirit of religion's main blind spot is God's transforming power. Its main blind spot is God's transforming power. And when the people of, op- the people of God, when you and I operate in this kind of spirit, you know what we are? We're spiritually blind. We spiritually cannot see when you and I align ourselves with the spirit of religion. When we do this, we become blind to what God is doing. We, com- we become completely blind to the people around us, blind to the fact that God actually wants to use you to transform a life, not just to cut out bad fruit, right? We are blind, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to be spiritually blind, church. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life spiritually blind to what God is trying to do in and through me and in his kingdom. I want to spiritually see. Is there anybody in here who wants to spiritually see? Okay, good. Well, to do this, I think we need to look at Ananias. Ananias, because he, in this story, spiritually saw something. You know, in this passage, we find this disciple, Ananias, and he hears God speaking to him. And God's like, hey, yo, Ananias, I want to use you. There's a guy, I need you to go over there, pray for him. And Ananias is like, cool, I could do that. I pray for people, that's easy. But look at what happens. Verse 13, it says this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So right here we see Ananias, understandably, I get it, I'd be there too, experiencing a little bit of confusion about what God is asking him to do, right? He's not confused about what God's asking him to do. He's like, I can pray for people, but it's who God is asking him to pray for, right? You know, Ananias very nicely tries to remind God who Saul is. He's like, hey, God, I don't know if you know who Saul is, but just in case you don't, let me remind you, Saul doesn't like people like me. Like, God, I don't know if you know this, but Saul doesn't like me, and you want me to go pray for him? And for a moment, and I get it, I would be there too, we see Ananias judging Paul based on the fruit that he can see. He's like, God, I don't know if you know, but Saul's got some bad fruit in his life. Saul has got some bad fruit, and he also hates me, and I kind of don't want to do that. For a moment, we see Ananias tempted to align himself with the spirit of religion which says, yeah, God, I know what you're asking me to do, but do you know who you're asking me to do it for? Because there's some bad fruit there. But I love the story because Ananias doesn't stay there, right? He doesn't stay there. He's tempted to for a second, but he allows the Holy Spirit to give him some insight that he did not know in his own strength, right? Let's continue to read on. Check out what happens. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument 
to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. And this is where Ananias was like, oh, oh, as well as to the, for the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Saul, Ananias in this moment is like, oh, I see God. So he obeys. And this is what happens. So Ananias went and he found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. That's really cool right there. That's a good verse right there. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, for the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales. So he's like spiritually blind. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some good food. Amen, somebody? He ate some good food and regained his strength. This is a good story right here. This is a good story. And Ananias, check this out. He's a random disciple. You know, Ananias is only in Acts chapter 9, and that's it. Like, compared to Paul, he's got no spotlight in the scripture. But I love what David Guzik writes about Ananias. Look at this. Ananias was an ordinary man, not an apostle, not a prophet, a pastor, an evangelist, an elder, or a deacon. Yet, God used him because he was an ordinary man. If an apostle or a prominent person had ministered to Saul, some people might say that Paul received his gospel from a man instead of Jesus. In the same way, God needs to use the certain disciple. There's a special work for them to do. Ananias, he allowed the Holy Spirit to give him spiritual discernment in this moment. Spiritual eyes to see a request that actually made no sense to him in the moment. No sense to him. And this is what we need to understand about the, uh, the eyes that God wants to give us. Spiritual vision is not ignoring bad fruit. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret the true fruit. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all didn't get that. The sp- spiritual vision is not ignoring bad fruit. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret the true fruit. So Ananias, he does this. He says, God, why Saul? Like, isn't there a lot of bad fruit there? Isn't there a lot of bad fruit there that I see? And the Holy Spirit interprets to Ananias what's actually happening, what he can't see. The fact that while Saul was still a sinner, Christ still died for him. That even though while Saul was on his way to literally persecute Christians, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, I know this is what you see, but I actually want to use him. I want to use him. I've got a plan for him. I've got a purpose for him. And I need you to understand that or you're going to hinder something that I want to actually do through you. This is what spiritual vision is. It's not ignoring bad fruit. It's not seeing people with a glass half full mindset. No, they're probably fine. No, no, no. It's seeing bad fruit and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do about this? It's not ignoring bad fruit. It's saying, this is what I see, God. What do I need to know about this? What do I need to do about this? You know, for us, it may look like this. God, I've got this relationship in my life, and maybe I'm starting to see weeds in it. I'm starting to see some tears. It looks a little unhealthy. But instead of just seeing that and going, this is bad, and I'm going to attack it. 
having spiritual eyes is saying, seeing that bad fruit and saying, God, what do you want me to do about this? Or what are you doing that I don't actually see? Spiritual vision may look like, God, I've got this family member in my life who's living in sin and I don't know how to love them, but also protect my kids. What do you want me to do about that, Holy Spirit? What do you want me to do about that? You see, when we do this, we actually allow the Holy Spirit to open the door for transformation to happen. Because if we don't do this, we just shut the door. And we're like, oh, this is what I see? And we act on a judgment when we don't actually know what's happening in the background. But the Holy Spirit wants to give you spiritual eyes. And check this out, when you ask that, he'll give you something. And he'll give you a method of what to do. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what kind of method he gives you as long as it's his method and not your method. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the Holy Spirit tells you as long as it's something he told you to do and not you. If we're going to see the church grow, if we're going to see God's family built on the earth, it's going to take people like you and me allowing the Holy Spirit to actually show us what's really happening. It's going to take you and me saying, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see what I don't understand. It's going to take you and me obeying like Ananias and going to our street called straight. You know, for me, I had a street called straight moment in my life. You know, I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up, you know, my family, we were at every service. We were 30 minutes early for the first service every single Sunday. We did not miss church. Um, So I grew up in church and I played church for a long time. When I got in youth ministry, um, you know, I I was the dude, but I was not living for God. I didn't, I looked like I was, but I didn't have my own relationship with God. Um, And that hurt me because you know what? I was super insecure and I was in bondage to lust. And it brought me down a path where I found myself uh, in a relationship uh, with somebody that everybody and their mom was warning me, hey, don't get in that relationship. (laughs) But I did it anyway. And so I found myself in this really unhealthy relationship, really messy, went too far, living in sin. And over time, I started feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, man, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, and you don't know me either. You've been playing church and you need to know who I really am. So the Holy Spirit starts convicting me. And um, so one night after a youth group, after a youth ministry, um, I had an amazing leader um, and his name was Big Jake, Big Jake. And I felt like the Holy Spirit this night was telling me, hey, you need to go, you need to tell Big Jake everything. And you know, this is how the spirit of religion works. You don't have to be a believer to, to walk in the spirit of religion. Cause I was like, I don't want to tell him that. Cause what if he sees the bad fruit? What if he throws me away because of what he sees? But that's not what happened. I brought this to, to big Jake. And you know, the first thing he said to me, he didn't say, are you kidding me? You've been in my small group for four years and this is what you're doing. Get out of here. No, he didn't do that. Now he was my Ananias. He said, just like Ananias, brother Jackson, except that's kind of cheesy. He didn't say brother Jackson. He, he just loved on me. He wasn't shocked by my sin. He prayed for me, but this is what was cool. He didn't just pray for me, love on me, send me on my merry way. This is where he had spiritual eyes. This is where he was my Ananias because he was actually listening to the Holy Spirit. And before our conversation was over, he said, hey, Jackson, I know you don't want to hear this, but I think you need to tell your parents everything. And I was like, God, 
I was like, dude, I told you so I wouldn't have to tell them. <laughs> but he was listening to the Holy Spirit. He had spiritual eyes in this moment. And you know, Big Jake did not know, probably like Ananias did not know what he was actually doing in the moment. He didn't know that that act of obedience for me, telling my parents, was going to be the thing that led me into my own walk with Jesus. The thing that led me into my calling. The reason why we do youth ministry here, the way we do it is because of Big Jake. And he doesn't even know that. This is how cool God is. This was my street called straight moment. For me, it was this moment where I was getting confronted by my sin and love and somebody was willing to not just leave me there and just pat me on the back, but listen to the Holy Spirit and see the whole picture. For Paul, his street called straight moment was, it was him getting confronted by Jesus <laughs> and then Ananias obeying. For Ananias, his street called straight moment was him just obeying the, the Holy Spirit. Him just obeying the Holy Spirit even when it didn't make sense. Church, I wonder what street called straight God is calling you to. I wonder what thing God is calling you to that doesn't make sense right now, but you need to obey anyway. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see it. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.